Ghost hunting sounds like a cool career choice, right? Well, if you do survive it, you won't be sleeping very much. This world is a strange one. There are plenty of ghost hunting shows out there, and everyone tunes in to see what these investigators may have found. But ghost hunting isn't always about discovery. Sometimes the things they're out hunting end up following them home. Ghost hunting is the worst job to have to bring your work home with you. Enjoy these allegedly true ghost hunting stories. By the way, an amazing fan by the name of Doll Lightful has designed an amazing new t-shirt for us. You can get this awesomeness for less than $20, among other things, at darknessprevails.org store. And hey, if you've got a story of your own about creepy encounters in the jungle, I would love to read your story. You can send it to me at darknessprevails.org. Now, let's go ghost hunting, which is just a nice way of saying, let's go become prey. Number one, Ghosts of the Old Jail, submitted by Nathan S. I've been a casual believer in the paranormal for some time now, but I've never personally experienced anything until last year. I live in Northern Florida, which has a history older than most of the US. We have St. Augustine and Savannah, two of the oldest and most haunted cities in the US. I was working on a documentary project about local history as a sort of senior project, and for one of my scenes, I went to an old jail in a town nearby. This jail doubles as a history center. It's in a small historical district. The jail itself resembles a schoolhouse, almost. A long, narrow, white building with bars on all the windows, with a very heavy, solid door. While working on my project here, I experienced two events that I've deemed paranormal. The first time I went by the jail, I came with a camcorder to record the exterior and interview people who worked there about the history. Well, I came at a time that they were closed, so I had to settle with recording the exterior. After walking around the exterior, I thought I could get a really good shot of the jail looking at the door. I filmed it for a few seconds, then looked at my camera. The footage was good, so I began to pack up my equipment. But as I did so, I suddenly heard a loud burst of speech coming from inside that jail. Like what you would hear at a party or something with a bunch of people inside and then a sound like the cell bars were being rattled and shaken. I mean, I could very clearly hear dozens of different people inside the empty, closed jail. I was completely caught off guard, so much so that I jumped when I heard it. It lasted for several seconds. It didn't make much sense, because even though the place was closed, I had tried to open the door myself, but it was locked, and mine was the only car in the parking lot. I then thought that it could have been a radio from a car driving past the jail, but I was certain it came from inside it, and no one had driven by in several minutes. I left very confused, maybe a little bit frightened, but I resolved to return. A few weeks later, I returned to that jail to interview employees for my history documentary. The person I spoke to told me that the jail was in fact haunted, and she told me some of her personal experiences and that it had been featured on some ghost hunting shows. She then asked if I wanted to see the inside of the jail. Being as curious as I was, you know I accepted that offer. She opened the door for me, 
and told me I'd have to go inside and explore by myself because she had to help other visitors in the office. A thick wall separated the office from the jail. You had to go outside to go between the two sides. She told me to have fun and behave myself and to go upstairs if I wanted to see some maximum security. Now, this is where my history project turned into my own personal ghost hunting session. Inside the jail was a small room, like an office booking room, I guess. There was a doorway to the left and right, and I chose to go to the left. In the left was a small landing with stairs going up to the second floor, with a corridor running parallel to these stairs. There was a room with an open door along the corridor. It seemed creepy enough, so I set up my tripod and filmed a few scenes to voice over. After I finished this, I took my camera and made to go upstairs when a few things happened all at once. People say that during paranormal encounters, they frequently encounter feelings of paranoia or outright fear. For me, it wasn't immediate, but I began to feel a slow, crawling feeling of dread. About halfway up the flight of stairs, this feeling grew until I felt threatened. I slowly walked back down, feeling I should tread carefully. I wasn't welcome up those stairs, and I wasn't about to aggravate whatever was making me feel this dread. At the bottom again, I still felt uneasy, but I wanted to get one more shot of the gel and maybe even catch a glimpse of something, anything out of the ordinary. Before I could do this, however, the open door in the corridor next to the stairs slowly began to close on its own. At this point, I was too scared to continue. Anything weird I wanted to catch on film just wasn't worth it anymore. I didn't walk, but practically leaped to the door leading outside. I lied to the employee and said I went outside and decided that that was enough filming for the day. Later on, I found out in this area, there have been at least a dozen hangings in the last 50 years and one day in the past, a warden was grabbed and violently stabbed to death by one of the inmates. I believe this commotion was what I heard during my first visit to the jail. I'm almost sad that my fear got the best of me because I never quite made it up the stairs of the jail. In addition, I found that paranormal investigators have been scratched, hit, pushed, and otherwise physically assaulted in this very jail during their investigations. And after learning this fact, I wasn't as disappointed in myself for not going upstairs. Anyway, thanks for listening. These experiences have helped confirm my paranormal beliefs. Sometimes I think that the paranormal are echoes of the past. Number two, the entity in the basement, submitted by Julian K. When I was younger, I always pushed the thought of ghosts and the paranormal off my mind. I never paid too much attention to that kind of stuff. Although on a certain occasion, I made an exception, usually for certain scary movies. But this occurred in the late summer of 2016, around July. At that time, I always loved hanging out at my friend's new house, and I would often beg to go over to see him and to check on how the renovation project was going. On this occasion, my friend, let's call him Sam, decided to show me a video he had recently found called Ghost Hunters, which I'm sure most of you know as the people who hunt paranormal entities, then documented into a TV show. He showed me this video, and despite my skepticism, 
I found it a fun watch and we were both instantly hooked. We got so excited that we decided to do it ourselves. Little did we know what kind of obsession we were about to wire into. Now, Sam's house is a two-story 1940s home and I was told by Sam's father that an elderly man by the name of Joe reluctantly sold them this house. Joe and Sam's dad went back at least 30 times to figure out what price would work. Joe was uptight and seemed to be hiding something important. I mean, who would even want to hold on to an old, dirty, run-down house like that? But after wearing Joe down, they eventually got the house. But only after buying it did Sam's father discover the reason Joe didn't want to give it up. Joe's mother used to live in the house with him. At the age of 86, she had a heart attack, which led to her falling face first down the stairs and into the basement, which ultimately killed her. It was a very disturbing story for a child like me to hear, especially considering that Sam lived in the house and I was over there quite often. Joe did seem insane though. We would often overhear him talking to Sam's dad about how his wife would miss him and weird stuff like that. Well, one day Sam and I gave in to the obsession of ghost hunting and I quickly downloaded an EVP recorder and EMF detector on my iPad and set it to record. Now at the time, I knew these were just apps, that they didn't work like the real equipment, but it was more about playing the role of a ghost hunter rather than professionally going out there to see what we could find. Anyway, we turned off the lights in the basement so that there was no light and we headed down. There was one window down there but it was covered by a huge box, so there was practically no light in the basement. I carefully placed my iPad in a pot near the stairs, and we closed the door so it was just me and Sam and whatever lay ahead. It all started when I got to the second to last step to the floor below, and that's when real fear began to set in. I said hello or something stupid like that, and I began to feel my arms hairs rise and I reached forward to steady myself when a freezing blast of cold air enveloped my arm. Immediately, I asked Sam if he was feeling that too, and he was just as weirded out as I was. Then the two scariest moments of my life occurred in a flash. First, I walked the rest of my way down the stairs, and I began to feel a pressure in my ears that sent chills down my spine. I glanced over at the pathway to the laundry room under the stairs, and I caught Sam's eye and I could see how scared he was too. I looked back and in the darkness, I kid you not, some kind of dark silhouette of a figure or something darker than the darkness around it was standing at the base of the steps, looking at us. It dashed towards us, then it was gone. As soon as that occurred, we both screamed and ran back up, leaving the iPad on and recording in the basement. Back upstairs in the light and safety, we both immediately realized that our little game was much more than a game, and that maybe pretending to ghost hunt was a bad idea, especially with the history that his house had. But a few minutes after catching our breaths upstairs, we remembered the iPad and that it was still recording, and we thought, if anything, we have to go back and get the iPad. This time, of course, we turned on the lights. I raced downstairs, grabbed the iPad, then ran back up and even that was enough to put chills down my spine again. I stopped the recording on the iPad, then we listened to the whole thing together. It was pretty much silence at the start. Our occasional footstep was heard. Then there was the sound of me placing it down, 
as we walked the rest of the way downstairs. Then we screamed and ran back up, sprinting right past it. But that's not the weird part. That's not the part that confirmed to me that what we saw was real. That silent sound of static in the background remained only for a moment after we ran past and shut the basement door because seconds later, the white noise grew and grew even louder until it was so loud on the iPad that it was messing with the speakers. At one point, it sounded like the static was actually someone breathing directly into the mic. Then the white noise faded, and a few seconds after the silence came back, there was the sound of me coming down the steps and grabbing the iPad. When the recording was over, Sam and I just stared at each other, silently making a pact that we should never go back to that basement and that it's probably not a good idea to go ghost hunting unprepared and to assume that you probably won't see anything. Let's just say when you bring a recorder and you start calling out to things in the dark, if something really is there, you're basically inviting it to show itself. Number three, creepy shadow figure experience submitted by Megan. This story occurred on a Halloween five years ago when I had just turned 17. My friend Shelby and I were hanging out at my friend's house. Let's call her Crystal. We were sitting in Crystal's room wondering what we could do that night. As it was Halloween, there were tons of things we don't usually do that we could have done. We thought about going to a costume party that night, one that our senior classmates were attending, but we all dismissed this idea because Halloween fell on a weekday that year and there'd be no way our parents would let us go to a party on a school night. That and we were too cheap to go out and buy a costume. I suggested the idea to carve pumpkins. Lame, I know. Both Shelby and Crystal let me know real quick how lame it was. Crystal then suggested the idea we go find some haunted places in town to explore. We thought this was all a great idea. Now, I've had a few weird and unexplainable things happen to me in my life, but I've been pretty skeptical about the paranormal at times. So a night out ghost hunting with some of my friends sounded pretty awesome. Even if we didn't experience anything or see something, we could at least hang out and chat in the creepy dark. So we began to look up places nearby in our town that were rumored to be haunted. Quickly, I found an article about a haunted cemetery just outside our town talking about the haunted grave of Sadie Baker. Now, the legend in my town was that a woman named Sadie Baker lived in that area in the mid to late 19th century. Sadie was known to be a witch by the townspeople and because of that, she was buried alive. The people that buried her placed two stone slabs on top of her grave, so because of her being a witch, she wouldn't be able to rise from the dead. Even so, people say that her ghost haunts the graveyard where she was buried, and if you go there and place an offering of dollar bills on her tombstone, she won't bother you. But if you sit and stay or leave anything less there, her ghost will push off your offering or even you if you're sitting on her tombstone. So telling my friends this, we all decided we had to go check it out because it was definitely the coolest sounding article we had found. So we all piled into my friend's Crystal's old yellow Volkswagen bug and we made our way to the graveyard. Once we arrived, we saw that the cemetery was way bigger than we originally thought. 
so we all split up and began looking for Sadie Baker's grave. After an hour of failing to locate the grave, we met back up together. Shelby asked, are you sure this is the right place? And I replied, yes, I'm positive. We followed the GPS. I just can't believe we couldn't find the grave though. Then Shelby said, maybe it's just a hoax and there's no such thing as the grave of Sadie Baker. Then why would there be so many pages about her grave on the web if it didn't exist? I challenged back. Crystal tuned in. I, I don't know, but y'all need to figure something out soon. It's getting dark and I didn't bring any flashlights and I am not spending the night in a graveyard on Halloween. I looked up at the sky and realized how dark it really was. She was right. We didn't think to bring flashlights and I didn't want to be left in the dark in the cemetery either, especially on a Halloween night. So we all talked for a moment and decided that we would just go and look up another haunted place since we couldn't find Sadie's grave. As we were leaving, I saw a section of the graveyard that was fenced off from the rest and all the graves in there looked older than the graves we were looking at. I stopped my friends and I pointed at that fenced off area. Did any of you check out that area? Crystal replied, no, I just noticed this part now that you mentioned it. Yeah, Shelby agreed. I didn't notice it before either. That's weird, I said but guys, I'm certain her grave has to be in there. How do you know for sure, Shelby asked. Just look at how old the graves are compared to everything else. I'm telling you, the grave has to be in there. Megan, Crystal said. I don't know about going in there. It looks creepy. Yeah, Shelby agreed again. It's gotta be fenced off for a reason. I'm not going in there. I looked back at the fenced off area of the graveyard and I noticed that it was a lot darker than the rest of the place. It did kind of creep me out and it very obviously creeped my friends out too, but I was not ready to give up finding that girl's grave. We were here and we had to make the best of Halloween. Come on guys, I said. If we all go in there together, I'm sure nothing bad would happen and I for one don't want to waste my Halloween. Let's just go check it out, then we'll leave, I promise. Crystal and Shelby looked at each other with worried looks, then looked back at me. Maybe if we lock our arms together and walk at the same time, it'll make you feel better, I suggested to them. My friends laughed at the idea, but they agreed anyway, and that's what we did. We locked arms, Crystal on the right side, myself in the middle, and Shelby on the left. We all looked at each other and laughed again, a fake, nervous laugh. I'm sure if someone saw three teenage girls locking arms walking around a graveyard, they'd think we'd look ridiculous. After we laughed at ourselves for how dumb we looked, we walked maybe three steps into the fenced off section of the graveyard, and we all froze at the same time, locking our eyes on something in the distance. All three of us noticed a dark figure in the center of the graveyard. We all thought it was a person at first, but then it turned its body its torso, our direction. And then we noticed that the figure was transparent. Whatever it was, it was looking right at us. Do you see that? I asked. What the hell? Crystal said. We all just froze for a good minute and didn't say a word. We just stared back at this dark, translucent figure only about 10 yards away from us. 
The figure itself, like I said, was dark and transparent, but not all the way. It was blurry, like a dark static on a broken TV. Then the figure's head began to move side to side, like pondering about what to do, and then the entirety of this thing began to move in our direction. At that point, I heard Crystal and Shelby yell in unison, nope, we're leaving, and I feel them let go of me. But I, for some ungodly reason, could not move or look away from this figure, inching slowly closer to me. It was like I was in a weird trance kind of state, or maybe just in shock and disbelief. But soon I hear Crystal and Shelby screaming my name out in the distance, telling me I had to run. That did it. Them screaming for me snapped me back into reality, and I knew I had to get out of there. I had to get away from this figure, back to my friends, back to the car. I turn and sprint. Crystal's already in the driver's seat, and Shelby's in the back with the passenger side door open, ready for me. I run for my life and literally Superman dive into the tiny car. Crystal stomped her foot on the gas, and we peeled out of there like bats out of hell. I set up to close the door, and for a good few minutes, everything was silent until I spoke. What was that? Shelby replied, I've got no freaking idea. You saw it too, didn't you, Crystal? Crystal nodded her head. Of course I did. How could you not miss that dang thing? What I don't get is how Megan just stood there staring at it like that. How could anyone do anything but run away from it? I didn't answer her. I myself didn't know why I did that to this day. I don't know why I just stared at it like an idiot. I don't even know why I asked what it was in the first place. None of us were bound to know what it was. This shadowy, inhuman figure. After the three of us realized we weren't going to get a real answer, we just drove the rest of the way back to Crystal's house in silence. We were still very much afraid and spooked, dumbfounded to discuss what we just experienced. When we got back, we promised to never go back to that cemetery or to tell our other friends about the experience because I was sure that they would just laugh at us and some of them may have even tried to find it themselves. We still to this day haven't gone back and that's probably because I'd rather not see that figure again or let it get any closer than it got that Halloween night. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? 
Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Number 4. It Wasn't Me Submitted by Gothica It's strange how sometimes memories come flooding back, and then instantly, it's like a series of red flags make a map you missed. Well, this happened years ago, when I was just leaving high school, and I was working with a paranormal crew as an EVP and camera specialist. It was something that, at the time, I wanted to do professionally, but a series of situations occurred that made for great stories, but not for a great life. It had started at a place we were investigating, a family land of one of the lead investigators that had plenty of activity for a history of reasons that I'd rather not discuss. We went through all the precautions of protecting ourselves before going out about our business. We would also check the perimeter if we had outdoor areas to cover. When I checked my area, I kept feeling like something was watching me. You know, that skin-crawling, cold stomach feel when I looked up ahead of me, I thought I'd seen something in the shadows, but I shook it off and dismissed it and headed back inside to help set up. We were being as efficient and cautious with our work as possible. We all took turns double-checking the other's work before we got started, just to make sure nothing that could cause contamination or hazards wasn't overlooked. I was setting up some of the audio equipment when two of the others came in to help set up as well. They both looked very confused to see me there, I remember having a conversation about my speed and whatnot, but nothing came of it. It was later that morning around four, still dark but early, that we headed home. My friend Lacey rode with me, but I felt very uneasy still, like something was around every corner. Honestly, I felt like that the whole drive back to my house. Then Lacey asked me, what did I want with her out in the woods before the investigation? I didn't know what she was talking about, but she went on. She said that at one point, she very distinctly heard my voice asking her to come look at something in the woods, but the batteries on several instruments needed changed at that moment, so she didn't go and instead went inside. But she said when she went back inside, I was already there. I told her that wasn't me. We both stared at each other for a moment and then went back to silence. A few weeks went by and there were a few things that had seemed off, but I really didn't notice because I had been so busy. Things like an uncomfortable feeling around my own house, knocks at the door that when my mom went, there was no one there. We chalked it up to the neighborhood kids playing pranks. Then I got sick, nothing major, just a sinus infection, enough to take me out of work and some school. That's when things got very unusual and scary. Lacey called me one afternoon and asked me where I had gone. Again, I was very confused as it was a Sunday and I never left my house that day. She then recanted another story about how I had been at her place that morning and asked her if she wanted to go on a hike. She agreed, but she never asked that me in, figuring that I would follow her. When I didn't, she headed out front, but didn't see my car. She figured that maybe I'd left already because of an emergency and that we had to cancel our plans, and that's why she just called me. Again, I told her that I hadn't even been up that day, that there was no way I had come over to her house. I don't think she completely believed me, 
and I said that maybe she's just tired. Then she laughed nervously over the phone and said that maybe she did need some sleep. The following Monday, I didn't go to school because I was still under the weather, but Tuesday I went back because I'd felt a lot better. One of my friends began asking me about Monday and why I had ditched after lunch. I laughed at her bad observation that I didn't come back to school until Tuesday, that I wasn't here Monday. She got annoyed and said that I did, that she saw me. She recounted seeing me in the halls, later verifying by other people and a teacher that had marked me even present in their classes. She said that I didn't act my normal chatty self, but seemed happy, overly happy. Then at lunch, I apparently asked her if she wanted to get out of there. She was confused. I was always one of those straight-laced, never-ditch-school types unless I'm dying, so she thought that I was joking. I asked her then if she wanted to go to the marshland for lunch. She was about to agree when Lacey headed over. I then, according to her, just walked away. After she told me this story, I was very adamant that I wasn't there, and after feeling very uneasy about the whole thing, I asked a series of other people about seeing me on Monday. This string of experiences all started with that night of paranormal investigation, and I can't help but feel that something followed me home. I think that night of ghost hunting caused something to attach itself to me. Something is pretending to be me, and it's trying to get my friends alone. Nothing like that has happened again, but I can't help but wonder, what would this thing have done with my friends if they did agree to go alone with him? And number five, some things go wrong. Submitted by Vexilius. I used to work on and off for a paranormal investigations group in Delaware in a town called Newark. I was invited to the team after a friend of mine, who was part of the team already, invited me on. I'd always had an interest in demonology and they thought my knowledge would be helpful to the group. Well, one day the group called me up to tell me that we have a case and they want me to stop by this family's home to assess the trouble. Usually when they call me up, it's because they suspect there is a demon or active spirit, something causing a lot of trouble. The team feels I'm best on knowing how to deal with them. I didn't want to let them down, so I agreed to go. So after work that day, around 3 p.m., I headed to this house. I met up with the father of the family to discuss a few things and to take notes. I did a quick walkthrough of the house so he could show me where things were happening. Instantly on entering the house, though, I catch a foul smell, like that of burning hair or flesh. It was disgusting. I covered my mouth and nose, trying to keep from breathing it in. Then I realized that I might be offending the man, but he said that this happened a lot, that this pungent odor would fill the house whenever someone it didn't like came inside. So he hurriedly showed me around as to not antagonize the entity too much. After I left that day, I thanked him for everything and I called up my friends and teammates to give them the details of the situation and to say that there only should be guys tomorrow night for the investigation. I only say this out of precaution, as from what I've researched, these darker entities more often target women than men, and I don't want anyone to get needlessly hurt. I tell my friends it's definitely a demonic case, 
so I'll take volunteers and only want a small crew of maybe five people on this. We had a team in total of 20 investigators, so that would definitely be too many people. Anyway, the night comes. Everyone's already on edge the moment we approach the house. The feeling of dread is mutual between every one of us. Our team of me, A, B, and C all unload our equipment to haul into the house. We set up several cameras of different types and things go wrong instantly. The power goes out and won't come back on. Even though none of the breakers were tripped and every other house in the neighborhood, their power was still going. It was some of the craziest stuff I'd ever seen. Not to mention that smell from before was worse than ever. Whatever was in that house, it was pissed. So we had to go in with all battery operated cameras, which was okay, I guess, but not the ideal situation. About an hour into the investigation, we began to hear things all around us. One of our members, A, was in the van parked outside watching things via monitors and listening on headphones. Several things began to happen in quick succession. Footsteps, growling from every corner, things being thrown towards us, and even the sick sound of children laughing, which was honestly one of the more creepiest parts about this. I was covered in chills at this point. I told my buddy B and C who were inside with me to follow me because I think I have an idea of where it's all coming from. This family has a 13-year-old daughter that was forced to move out after everything began to happen and they left her room completely intact the way it was, boy band posters and all. We walked into the room and right away, one of my teammates begins to cuss up a storm and he's grabbing his side like it's on fire. I pulled his hand away from his side and without even lifting up his shirt, there are obvious traces of blood under it. We do lift up his shirt only to see several claw marks as if some wild animal had just attacked him. The fear on his face after he saw that on his body, it made me nauseous. Then the other teammate screamed. I looked towards him and he was looking up at the corner of the room. So I look over as well and up near the ceiling, there's this oddly shaped black mass. It's hard to describe it, but it was horrifying to see. It looked like a shadow of some creature with extremely long limbs and a tiny thin body. Its head was bulbous. It was all dark, like a living shadow. So it was impossible to make out any details. I can say now with all my experience from paranormal investigations and ghost hunting, that this was by far the most vivid and close encounter I've ever had. Never once had we seen something manifest like that. The image of it was too much for each of us. And without another word, we all booked it out of the house and we didn't go back. The family that we were trying to help had to disappointedly return our cameras to us. Honestly, I felt bad that we couldn't help them. Last I heard from that family in their house, they had called a priest to try to get the place cleansed, but that's the last I heard from them. An experience like this really puts ghost hunting into perspective for you. People think it's all good fun trying to find things that could be a little creepy. Some people are even just skeptics who want to prove that these things don't exist. But every so often you get an experience like this, an experience where your teammate gets attacked and begins to bleed, an experience when something is so close, you honestly think you're about to die.
I've personally gone ghost hunting a few times. There are plenty of old and creepy places in my home state of Arkansas, but I've never really seen too much. Nothing face to face, that's for sure. Maybe I'm lucky though. Did you hear those stories? Ghost hunting could make you a victim. You never know when you'll stumble upon something claiming to be the spirit of a person, only to have it attach itself to you and haunt your life forever. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget to send us your jungle horror story soon at darknessprevails.org. And finally, a huge thanks goes out to the newest patrons helping to keep this channel possible. They are Lauren Burton, Frank Blaha, and Lenore Pearson. Enjoy those bonus episodes, guys, and thanks again.